the greatest place to be on a Friday night. I'm on now. Uh, welcome those that are watching online. Welcome our online family. We love you. Uh, thanks for being a part of Encounter. Thank you, Encounter Band. You guys rock. I'm telling you, you guys are amazing. Uh, so anyway, uh, I want to welcome all of our first-time guests. Gotta, i got to run through these announcements. If you're here for the first time, thank you for being here. If you're back after being gone a while, welcome back. Uh, if you're here for the first time, just know that you are loved. And at the end of this service, in the conference room to my left, uh, to your right, uh, by the kitchen, I do a one-on-one presentation for uh, first-time guests. But I'm actually going to do that for everyone tonight, just sort of a, a review of sort of where we are, you know, what we do, you know, who we do it for, how we do it, when we do it, why we do it, and all that good stuff. And so... Fasten your seatbelts. We're going for a ride tonight. But I got a couple of quick announcements for you. First of all, I just want to thank Pam for just an awesome dinner. Thank you so, so much. Mom, thank you very, very much. There you are. Uh, just, that was amazing. Uh, champ, I mean, if you missed out, you missed out, okay? Uh, it, was just, it was just amazing, uh, an amazing dinner. Also, I want to let you know that coming up, the next encounter training not this Sunday, but the, the Sunday after that from 3 to 5 p.m. in the U-Turn building, May the 6th. You don't want to miss this uh, training. We're going to do a little vision casting. Uh, we're going to talk about some fun things that we're going to be doing for the summer. You don't want to miss out on the fun. Plus, your name gets put in a hat uh, for every encounter training that you go to for a chance uh, to win uh, a trip to Disney and uh, talk to Mickey because he has all the answers. Uh, also want to let you know, on June 22nd, a Big Glory concert, we're going to be going to that. It's a Friday night. Uh, hey, where's the G3 band going to be playing next? Wait, wait, tomorrow wait, wait. night. Tomorrow night, where? We're at the backyard, the restaurant right next to Rattlers. Right next to Rattlers, backyard, tomorrow night? From where? What time to what time? 7 to 10. Huh? 7 to 10. You're not doing anything on a Saturday night? Come on out. See the dream. It's amazing. Okay, these guys are amazing. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, we're going to take up an offering, uh, but before we take up an offering, um, I just want to let you guys know about something uh, that maybe some of you guys don't know about. Uh, I'm going to pray for our offering, but I, I was making a, I was writing a post because I want to make sure I get my words right, and, and uh, sometimes I, 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 I mess up words. I, ha I have, uh, my, my wife's laughing, but I'm going to ask my wife to stand up because tomorrow I'll be married to that woman for 34 years, by the grace of God. Okay. <laughs> so I was writing this in my car while I was driving on my phone. Okay? I didn't do that. Now, I stopped in Starbucks. Take it easy, woman. I love you. Okay? I was just seeing if you were listening. <laughs> this is pretty good. I said, this is for tomorrow. It said, tomorrow we celebrate 34 years of marriage that, have been, that has been marked and sealed by the love, grace, and power of God. When God gave me Carolyn, it was truly his best gift to me next to Jesus. Without her, I would be dead. Without her, I wouldn't be saved. Without her, I'm not saved. Without her, there would never be a ministry. There would never be an encounter. I wouldn't know what love and forgiveness is all about. Without her, hundreds and hundreds of people wouldn't be in heaven because of what God did through her one night where, when she introduced me to Jesus Christ. See, I see and marvel at Jesus living in and through my lovely wife. 
And I'm more in love with Carolyn today than ever before because we believe in love at last sight. And our goal as a couple is to be more in love with each other the last day we see each other than at any other point in our marriage. You see, we believe that a marriage is to reflect a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ that will never, ever, ever be broken. We believe Jesus can and will restore and heal any marriage if two people are willing to go all in with Jesus. And we are living proof that God can take a mess and turn it into a masterpiece. And we are living proof that there are no impossible cases with God and that God can reconcile and restore any relationship. He did it for us, and he can do it for you. God gave me his best when he gave me Carolyn. And now I know how to take special care of the greatest gift he's given to me other than his son, Jesus Christ. Honey pie, I love you. He took the D word out. We took the D word out where it was always. The D word was divorce. We should have been divorced. But now it's dang. She's hot. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for just the way you, you give us gifts. Where you've given me just the greatest gift in my wife. But I thank you for the gifts that you've given us in finances and how you bless encounter and and that you would use these finances and multiply it so that more relationships can be restored and more people can find hope. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Name it is the name. 
we worship you, Lord. No sweeter name than the name of Jesus. There is power in your name. Let's sing this out. Death could not hold you. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You Resurrection power. Amen. We love you guys. Grab a seat, everybody. Are you guys ready? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Uh, your name is, is power. What a wonderful name it is. And we just thank you so much for what you're doing at Encounter. Uh, just, uh, we just thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit uh, that uh, opens up ears they can't hear and eyes they can't see and tenderizes a heart that's hard and, and cold and warms it up uh, for the good news. And we pray that your word would not come back void tonight. It would accomplish everything you intended it to do. And you would watch over your word to perform over it and that you would bless all of us. Let your voice be the only voice that we hear and let us uh, just ignite our hearts, light us up so that we can be fired up about what you're doing 
at Encounter and that we can spread this good news and always be prepared to give an account of the hope that we now live for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody, everybody excited? I'm excited. I'm fired up. So get ready. Listen, what I decided to do tonight, uh, we've been uh, teaching through the 12 Anchors of Hope, and what I decided to do is take a time out. And every night that they were first-time guests, I do a thing called 101 in there, where I share the mission, vision, the why, the who, the when, the how, why we do things, what the, why, why we do the things that we do, what the method behind the madness is. And so we're going to take a, we're going to take a, a break tonight from our normal teaching plan. And I'm going to teach you the, the entire ministry and philosophy of Encounter tonight. I'm going to go through all 12 anchors of hope. I hope you've got a bookmark with you. We're going to fly through them uh, because I want, you to, I want you to know this stuff. I want this stuff to permeate through your veins. I want you to speak this stuff. I want you to be able to know when someone c- comes to you and someone asks you, what do you do on Fridays? Where do you go? And you tell them, I go to Encounter. Well, what's Encounter? I want you to be able to share what Encounter is effectively. I want people to know what Encounter is. I want people to know exactly what Encounter is. And so the ministry of Encounter is to help broken and hurting people overcome life's adversities so they can discover a free, devoted life to Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement. And we live in a broken world. And everyone's experienced brokenness and hurts in life. So that qualifies you to be a person at Encounter. That qualifies you to be blessed at Encounter. And because of the truth, the fact that we're all broken, we're all hurting, anyone and everyone can benefit from the ministry of Encounter. And they can grow. And they can heal if they apply these 12 anchors of hope and what we teach here at Encounter. Now, there are four pillars of encounter that we do everything through. The the entire curriculum is built around these four pillars. And the four pillars are discipleship, recovery, evangelism, and community. You may want to ask, why those four pillars? Well, first of all, discipleship is the key to everything. Discipleship is everything. And I've been a part of of many, many churches. I've been been saved for... 20 years now, and I've, been, I've worked in some of the really, really great churches around the country. Worked in good church in, in Colorado, good church in Illinois, good church here. I've been involved in a lot of great ministries. I've spoken at churches all over the country. I've been involved in the Church of Jesus Christ for 20 straight years. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that there are really good discipleship programs out there in churches, really good discipleship programs where they really teach people how to study God's Word, how to pray, how to, how to really apply God's promises, how to, how to just really live a devoted life to Jesus Christ. The problem with some of the, and this is not a knock on any of those programs, fact is, is that, is that discipleship programs typically are not really good at helping people in recovery, helping people get unstuck in life. And so, now, for the past 11 years or so, I've been involved in Christ-centered recovery programs. Now, I've been involved in some really good programs. And I just want to say this publicly so you guys hear it, because a lot of people say, well, Bill's not a fan of this. Bill's not a fan of this. Okay? I've been involved, I was involved in a program called Celebrate Recovery. I've been involved in 12-step groups. I've been involved in AA. NA, I've spoken in many AA, NA meetings. Okay? God works in everything. Those are great programs. Those are great places to go. Uh, 
and there are many courageous people working the steps and working those programs. And they're really, really good. Uh, and, and so, and they, and they have thousands and thousands of these, of these programs all across the country, in every state, in every, in every city. And, but what I have discovered is, and anyone can attest to this, if you've been a part of Celebrate Recovery, if you've been a part of NA, if you've been a part of AA or any STEP program, typically they're not experts at discipleship. They're not experts at really following Jesus, being fully, fully devoted, knowing God's word inside out. And, this, and why is discipleship so important? Well, look what it says, look what Jesus says in John 8, 31. He says this, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus went on to say in the next verse, 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Any reference Jesus ever made to walking in freedom, to having our chains broken, to having strongholds pulled down, to us walking in the abundant free life devoted to Jesus Christ has always been going down this pathway of discipleship. Jesus gave us a command in Matthew 28, 18, when he says, go out and make disciples, teaching them to obey all of my commands. And, I'll be, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you always. So discipleship is very important to Jesus. It's the only pathway he has. He also makes recovery statements as well, too. Jesus' plan of recovery is simply this. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. That's his plan for recovery. Scripture is real plain. Scripture is real easy. Now, man's plan for recovery is a program. God's plan for recovery is to encounter Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. It's, it's not through a program. It's, it's through having a real encounter with Jesus Christ. So, we, so what we did at Encounter, when we launched Encounter, is we took everything great about recovery. We took everything great about discipleship. And when I first got saved 20 years ago, the only thing I knew how to do was tell people about Jesus. I was taught to go out and share my faith. I was taught to go out and share my story. So evangelism is a big part of what we do, and it's built into our curriculum. So is creating a great, safe community where you can be courageous enough to share what's going on in your life. You want a safe, great place where you can grow and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, which really Marty, the pastor at the sanctuary, talks about discipleship all the time. It's being more like Jesus than I was yesterday and becoming more like Jesus tomorrow than I was today. That really is the whole plan. You get on that pathway, you're going to experience a great, great life. So we are unique, we are different, because I don't know if there's a ministry that's combining discipleship, recovery, evangelism, and community all together. We're unique. We're not better than anybody else. We've just been gifted by God to create a special, unique, empowered ministry by the Holy Spirit. Our key verse is found in Hebrews 6.19. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. See, encounter is a ministry where hope can be found. It's when people can discover freedom in every single part of their lives. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work through the 12 anchors of hope. What we do is 
uh, what we have are 12 Anchors of Hope. It's our year-long teaching plan. We also have a three-week, three, not a three-week, a three-month, 12-week encounter study option for you. All the lessons are online. It's something you can do in a group. There's some groups going through it right now. Uh, it's something that will just bless your life, heal you, set you free, and get you on a discipleship pathway that you'll never look back and you'll never regret. You don't want to miss out on doing an encounter study. And all these components, discipleship, recovery, evangelism, and community are found in these 12 anchors of hope, and I'm going to share them with you right now. Anchor number one, you should have a bookmark bookmark with you. Stay with me. I'm going to start going through this really fast. Make the decision to get well from my problems and brokenness and admit that I do a terrible job at playing God. And we get our key, one of the key verses. Our key verse is found in John. It's a great encounter where a man who hung out by a pool for 38 years who never wanted to get well and Jesus saw him and he knew of his condition. He had been sick for a long time and he approached the man and he said, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It's the million-dollar question. A lot of people say they want to get well, but your actions determine if you want to get well. And if you want to get well, you don't call the shots on how you want to get well. You just allow Jesus to take over. You allow him to take the wheel. And you just allow him to just take control of your life. You submit and surrender to him in every part of your life. Do you want to get well? The other part of that, anchor one, is admit that I do a terrible job at playing God. Well, what does that mean? What in the world does playing God mean? Playing God means you try and do his job. And this is man's oldest problem. This has been going on since Adam and Eve, where they lived, Adam and Eve had, had, had a life of paradise, living in paradise, perfect world. There was only one rule, and they broke the rule because the devil showed up and gave them two lies. You're not going to die, and you can be just like God. And they wanted to play God because they wanted to be God. And they thought they can do God's job. And we do this every day of our lives. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'm a, I'm a number one commandment breaker because there are, there are days when I get up and say, God, thanks, but no thanks, I got this one. And I break that commandment. You play God when you try and change your past, try and control other people, and try and manage your own pain and problems. There are a variety of ways that we play God, and we all do it. And I just want to tell you that you stink at playing God. I stink at playing God. And when we stop trying to do God's job, God can take over. It's called humility. It's stepping out of denial. And it's just really, that's a recovery anchor, by the way. It's a recovery anchor, anchor number one. I've seen many people, I've been in this business for a long time, I've seen many people who have never, ever gotten out of this anchor because they still think they can play God. They still think they can call the shots on how their lives are going to get turned around. Anchor number two, this is a big one. Believe. Everybody say believe. I believe. I believe. See, I believe in a lot of things. You believe in a lot of things. The question is, I mean, I believe you shouldn't eat yellow snow. I believe that, you, you, you know, you shouldn't buy a toothbrush at a yard sale. But that's not going to get you anywhere, okay? What you believe that is true is important. Anybody catch the Frank Zappa reference there? Okay, just stay with me. Stay with me. Anchor two, believe that God's love and power can restore hope and healing. Believe that God's love and power can restore hope 
and healing. Anchor two is called a faith anchor because it starts with the word believe. I mean, do I really believe God is who he says he is? Can God do what he says he can do? That's a million-dollar question, isn't it? I mean, do I really believe that God loves me and has my best interest at heart? So here's the anchor again. Believe that God's love and power can restore hope and healing. Look what it says in Romans. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Since we have been justified, everybody say justified. It's not a show from Kentucky. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we now rejoice in the hope. Everybody say hope. Of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. You don't want to say amen to that, do you? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, anchor one, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. He died for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. When you wonder where God was in your life, you look at the cross and you'll be reminded that God loves you this much. When you wonder where God is, he was on the cross loving you and dying for you. You see, that's a hope you can't do without. You see, and faith activates that type of hope. You see, fear is the opposite of faith. Fear consults the facts. Faith consults the truth. Fear will paralyze you. Faith will ignite your, your, your trusting God. Faith is everything. This is a faith-based ministry. It's impossible to please God without faith. And we want to be God-pleasers. But you don't need a lot of faith. You just need to use the faith that God's given you. Romans 12, 3 says to each and every one of us, God's given us a measure of faith. I was talking to the guys last night. It's up to us to exercise that faith and work out that faith like a muscle and see what God will do. Anchor three. We got to move. I'm behind. You ready? Respond to the love of God by surrendering my life and will to Jesus Christ. Respond to that love. It's a big one. Respond. See, God's already made the first move on you. He's already demonstrated his love for you. And this is, the, this is an intentional decision to commit my life and will to Jesus Christ. It's when we repent of our sins, turn from our sins, turn to Jesus Christ, make him the Lord and leader of our lives. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, it's not only becoming a Christian, it's not only becoming a follower of Jesus, it's also trusting in the finished work of Christ and dying to yourself so that the resurrected life of Jesus Christ 
can be seen and lived out through you. The power of the cross solves our biggest problem. The power of the cross makes it possible to say the three most important words we could ever declare, and that is that I am forgiven. When you can declare to the world, I am forgiven, it changes everything. If those three words don't liberate your life with joy, passion, purpose, power, grace, and gratitude, then you really have never had an encounter at the cross or realized what happened at the cross, that a transaction took place where God wiped out your old life, made you new, resurrected you new in Christ Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, you are made new. All this is possible, all this is real, this really happened at the cross, and that's who you are. That life is gone, goodbye, kiss it goodbye. You are made new in Jesus Christ because you are crucified like Christ was crucified and you are now alive. That's what Anchor 3 is all about. Trusting in the finished work of Christ. If you don't, listen, if you try and do something that's already been done, you'll wear yourself out trying to do something that's already been accomplished by Jesus and that's part, one of the ways that you play God. Is not trusting in the finished work of Christ, trying to always do, do, do something that's already been finished when Jesus said to Telestai on the cross. Anchor number four. Hope you're taking notes. Realize this is a big one. Who I am in Christ and reject the lie that I am my character defects and sins. I just said 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. I am who I am because the great I am said I am. Said, Sam, I am. <laughs> Green eggs in ham. Come on, stay with me now. I am who I am because the great I am said I am. You got to know who you are in Christ. You don't have to spend an entire lifetime trying to become somebody you already are. You are accepted. You are secure. You are significant. You are not your sins. You are not your character defects. You are not your addictions. It's not who you are. You are made new. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are a priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy generation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, once you weren't forgiven, but now you are forgiven. Now you are the people of God. Now you do sit at the right hand of, of the Father with Jesus because you are an heir to the throne. You are part of a royal bloodline. That's who you are. You're called a saint, not a sinner. You got to know who you are in Christ. And if you're not, and if, and if you're not, Careful, if I'm, I'm telling you, the enemy is trying to steal your identity every single day you wake up. Whatever you watch, whatever you see, whatever you do, trust me, it's an attack on your identity. You've got to know who you are in Christ. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to other people. Everybody's trying to change you, trying to get you to be somebody that you're not. Has anybody ever, oh, if you can be more like so-and-so. Well, I'm not so-and-so. I'm exactly who I need to be. I'm a child of the one true king, and my father in heaven is bunkers about me. Thank you very much. But I'm not buying it today. Okay, anchor number five. We're getting through this. We're not going to be as late as I thought. Okay, we're, we're going good. I lied, guys. Okay, here we go. Anchor number five. Get honest about my past so I can discover God's best version of me. Get honest about my past. Listen, Either your past is your past, or it's not. 
And the problem with a lot of us who give our lives to Christ is that, and we, when we don't trust in the finished work of Christ, all the stuff that, that Jesus died for, like for, here's a great example, when Jesus forgives you of all your sins, guess what he included in that forgiveness? He took care of your shame and guilt. But we think, even though we're saved, even though now we're a follower of Jesus, we got to carry this guilt around with all of us because we don't deserve to be free from this guilt. Oh, but I deserve it. I get, yeah, i got to carry it. I, you know what? I know Jesus forgave me, but I'm not going to forgive myself. You know, why should I forgive myself? You know, I did, yeah, I made so many mistakes for so many years. You know, I can't forgive myself. You know, that's just a lie. That's just a lie from the pits of hell. And not forgiving yourself is not believing the truth of who you are in Christ and not believing the truth that you've been totally forgiven along with your guilt. Look what David wrote in Psalm 32. I love this. David, David writes this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. He went on to say, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Does anybody sound like anybody's testimony? It's mine. Verse 5, Finally, 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 I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. Don't miss this. And all my guilt is gone. Hallelujah. See ya. Don't come back again. This door is closed. We're not open for business anymore, guilt. You know, I moved out of a couple of neighborhoods. I moved into a couple of neighborhoods that I, that, I love to, that, that, that I love living in. Okay, one of the neighborhoods I live in now, it's a great, great neighborhood. Uh, and it's a fantastic neighborhood. It's called the neighborhood of I could, care, I could care less of what other people think about me. It's a great, and I'll tell you a neighborhood I moved out of, that's a neighborhood of regrets. Another neighborhood I moved out of, neighborhood, uh, this was... You, you, you got lost in this neighborhood all, every time you tried to pull in. It was a neighborhood of if-onlys and only ifs. Only if I did this. Only if this. If only I did this. Only if this happened. If only she did that. Okay, and people would drive around in circles all the time. And they would never be able to leave. I moved out of that neighborhood. Okay, and I'm telling you, I, I live in the best neighborhood now. The neighborhood of grace. The neighborhood of forgiveness. The neighborhood of freedom. Okay, the neighborhood association at Encounter, that's who you guys are. You're my peeps. I love this neighborhood. And it's a great place to be. Okay, and there's no monthly charge. It's all free. There you go. You got to get honest about your past. Uh, and the way that we do that is you allow the Holy Spirit to search you. We talked about this last week. You pray all these prayers, but it's not you searching your past. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to search your past. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to take you on a journey, looking at every event in your life so you can discover how you became the person you are today, so you can discover God's best version of you tomorrow. But you've got to connect the dots. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting light. So you allow God to search, test, point, and lead you in this journey. And when you do it and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, he speaks to you loud and clear. 
And God will take every ounce of pain, shame, and guilt, and fear that you've ever experienced up to this point and help you discover God's best version of you. And let me tell you what God's best version of you is. His redeemed masterpiece. That's who you are. God doesn't make junk. You are his redeemed masterpiece. This is a big one. We're almost halfway there. You ready? Stay with me. Allow God, allow God to make the transformational changes he wants to make. Okay? And stop trying to make them on my own. Anyone guess what pillar this anchor falls under? Discipleship. Thank you very much. Bob, tell them what they've won. Let me tell you what they've won. You've won freedom because the Romans says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Here it is. Here it is. By changing the way you think, then you'll know what God's will is for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Let me share something with you. The world will tell you, or if, the, if someone's trying to help you from the world, the first question that they start is, how are you feeling? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about this relationship? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about this person? How do you feel about this situation that you're in? It's the complete opposite of how God works. God says, I want to change the way you think, and I'm going to let, I'm going to let my truth wash over your brain, wash over your mind, and with the hope that you'll take that biblical knowledge and translate that spiritual biblical knowledge into heart actions. And if you translate biblical knowledge into heart actions, eventually the feelings follow. It's the complete opposite of how the world works. The world will say, start with how you feel. Hopefully that will lead to better actions. Eventually you'll think better. That doesn't work. What works is you have to allow God to change your stinking way of thinking and allow God to give you a new way of thinking every single day. God wants to change the way Bill Reeser thinks two days from now because God wants to change the way I think so he can transform me. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another translation is, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies a living sacrifice before God, holy and pleasing. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a great example of looking for something in the Bible, and this is a great way to study the Bible. Look for a statement that God makes, followed up by instructions of what we're supposed to do in light of that statement, and then if we actually do it, comes a promise of what God will do if you actually do it. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a great example of that. It says this. Where are we? The statement is, in view of God's mercy, in light of what you've done for me, in light of what you've done for me, in other words, in light of what Jesus did on the cross, in light that I'm forgiven, in light that I have the Holy Spirit, I have a new heart with new and right desires, I have power, i got a new slate in life, I've, I've got resurrection power, I've got, I, I've got the floodgates of heaven available to me to bless me when I need it the most. Heaven is at my disposal. God answers me when I pray. He always does. He answers your prayer. We're going to talk about that. He says, in light of all that stuff, offer your body. We, we worship in song, but God says, I want you to also worship me with your bodies. I don't want you to buy into what the world says, but I want you to be transformed. I want you to, I want you to let my word, my truth, 
come to the doorpost of your mind every day and let it wash over you. And if you do that, here's the promise. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Some of you never know what God's will is for your life because you simply won't follow two simple verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's the key to everything. That's the discipleship pathway that God has chosen. Let him change the way you think. It'll change the way you act. Eventually, the feelings follow. It's God's pathway to recovery. It's God's pathway to healing. It's God's pathway to wholeness. It's God's pathway to wisdom. It's God's pathway to knowing God. It is everything. Transformation, discipleship, walking on the same path of Jesus. Anchor number seven. I go on and on, but I got to move. Close my accounts with other people. Everybody say, close my accounts. With other people by forgiving them and become willing to make amends. To make amends by becoming a peacemaker. Either a peacemaker or a troublemaker. (laughs) Colossians 3 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ Rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. You see, when you choose the freedom of forgiveness, you move out of the bondage of bitterness. And forgiveness is not an option. A lot of people say, it's hard. I will admit it's hard. I will admit that it's a hard pathway to go down. I will give you that. But it's not optional. Because I know of no other sin in your life that will block you from being all that God's called you to be and experiencing all that God wants you to experience other than the sin of unforgiveness. Jesus tells us that we can speak to the mountains in our lives. We can just command them to be removed and they'll be removed in Jesus' name. But he says, first, before you pray, forgive anyone that you hold anything against so my Father can forgive your sins. You see, you'll either be speaking to mountains or climbing them all your life based on whether you're a person of forgiveness or a person of bitterness and unforgiveness. Climbing mountains will wear you out. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and our bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgiveness is the only issue that Jesus brought up in the Lord's Prayer twice. And to make sure that he was adamant about making his point, he goes on to say in verse 14, if you don't forgive men their sins against you, my Father in heaven will not forgive your sins too. I'm not that smart. And you want to you mess with a pastor? Ask him to explain the verse that says, what does not having my sins forgiven really mean in that verse? Well, here's, here's my take on it. You ready? I'm not going to wait to heaven Wait till I get to heaven to have that conversation with my father to find out what that means. When God has commanded me to forgive anyone that's ever offended me, no matter what they did, because I've been forgiven of so much. And no matter what they've done to me, it'll never match what was done to Jesus and how much I've been forgiven. And what's writing 
on the line for many of us, and it was for me, is the peace of God. See, when you choose to forgive that way, the gift that God gives you is God's peace, the peace that the world doesn't offer. And that's something, that's, that's something that nobody can give you, nobody can sell you, nobody can offer it to you, but God, when you truly close all your accounts with other people. So let me ask you tonight, how much peace do you have when you lay your head on your pillow? Are all your accounts with other people closed? Who is living rent-free in your head still causing you pain? That needs to be evicted in Jesus' name. I get this is a hard one. But what peace do you have and what peace do you need and what's waiting for you and what's holding you back? Because there's no cost-benefit to you holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness. It's not helping you one bit. It doesn't bless you, help you, make you feel good. It doesn't do anything for you but destroy everything you are inside of you. It'll, it'll destroy you physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. It'll bring you down. And one day you may turn into Rosie O'Donnell. I'm just, let's go. Come on. We got to go. Okay. Uh, I love Rosie. She, we used to go see her in the comedy clubs in New York, a place called Governors in Long Island. Are we, are we ready? Anchor 8, allow God's word to become the authority over my life. Allow God's word to become the authority over my life. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Listen, look at me. Look at me. I'm talking to you. There's some people who read this book. There's some people who study this book. Few people make this book the authority over their lives that no matter what page they go to, they say, that's true, and I'll live that out, no matter how difficult it is. I know one of my, I, I shared this a couple weeks ago. I love this passage in, in, in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was uh, a prophet, and uh, and he had, he had something uh, to say to the people of Israel. And usually it wasn't good news because they were in exile at this time. And here's what they said to Jeremiah, not knowing whether it was going to be something really good or something disastrous. And it said this. Then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Whether it is favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it will go well with us. For we will obey the Lord our God. Jeremiah 42, 5. I don't know about you, but there are some people that they give God 90% room, 95% room, but then they come across the scripture and say, ah, <laughs> not so fast, God. I'm not ready for that one yet. And that's where we get stuck. Or some people search the scriptures to justify what they're doing. I know a lot of people that do that. Watch the news. People misquoting scriptures all the time. Who's the best at doing that? Satan. He masquerades as an angel of light. He comes to you as God. He says, I'm God. Do this. Leave this person. Do this to that person. 
go here, go there, and you think it's God. And the reason why you don't know whether it's God, Satan, or yourself is because you haven't made God's word the authority over your life. And that's why it's so important to make this book. Listen, I, 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 I didn't study books before I got saved. Okay, All I read was Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. I, I mean, I, I seriously never read books. And when I got saved, it wasn't my job to figure out what was in this book. It was my job to read this book. It was the Holy Spirit's job to, to illuminate the truth in this book to me because I was open to the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. The Holy Spirit will guide you into truth, will explain the truth of God. A lot of people say the Bible is hard to understand. It's hard to understand when you're trying to justify your way of living through Scripture, but when you make God's Word the authority over your life, it's not hard to understand. It becomes a Dr. Seuss book, so easy to read, so easy to apply to your life, because you do it with joy. You do it with joy. You say, God, it's all you anyway. And you can debate me on that, but I will tell you that if you're submitted to God in every area of your life, this book becomes a joy to live out in your life. Number nine, because this goes hand in hand. Commit to a daily prayer life so my relationship with the Father grows. Speaking to the guys about this last night in the House of Hope, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, be joyful always, Pray continually. Pray without ceasing, another translation. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something they taught me in training. When you ever read something that says this is God's will for you, it's a good idea to do it. It's a good idea to do it. Okay? And you know what's another thing I learned in training? That when you ever read that it's, it's actually God's will for you, it really is God's will for you. And so here's, what's God's, here's, what, here's what the will of God is for you in Christ Jesus. Always have joy. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. You stop doing those three things and you're a goner. And you become miserable. Okay? Which is the total opposite of that. Be bitter always. Worry continually. and complain in all circumstances. That's what most people do, right? Me, I do that. We all do it when we're, not, when we're not bathed in prayer. The worst epitaph that you can have on your tombstone is they had not because they asked not. Prayer opens up the, the floodgates and the gifts of heaven and the storehouse of God to bless you with everything that you have. You can know when you pray that God one always hears you. You can know that when you pray God's will, if you ask anything according to my will, you have what you ask. If two of you agree to, any, to touch anything that you ask for, it shall be given to you of my Father which is in heaven. These are, I, I can go on and on and on about prayer promises, but I am telling you that when you become a person of prayer, you experience everything that God has for you. Don't stop believing, but don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Pray big, you're going to receive big. Pray little, little prayers, you're going to receive little. Prayer is everything. You want to be known. 
as the person of prayer. You want to be the person someone calls when they're in trouble. You want to be the person at the end of your life that they don't say anything else about you. They can say, that person was a person of prayer. That person, when they prayed, I know that they were touching heaven. I knew I can count on that person to pray for me. You want to be known as a person of prayer. You get to, you get to, listen, there's a way to pray. There's a way to pray effectively. My friend David Heisong always said, I don't have any confidence in how I pray, but I have all confidence that you can answer what I'm praying. I'm telling you, prayer is everything. That's why we're going to spend the entire summer July and August, teaching on prayer at Encounter. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Everything. It has to do with everything. Entire, July and August is going to be all about prayer. i got to get through this. We're running behind. Running down a dream. Anchor 10, get dressed daily for battle by putting on God's armor and taking my thoughts captive. Get dressed daily for battle by putting on God's armor, taking my thoughts captive. Ephesians 6.13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Because it says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, evil rulers of this dark world. Did you ever think you were always fighting against the wrong enemy? That your spouse wasn't your enemy? Your boss not your enemy? This person, not your enemy. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We're always battling against principalities, powers. Listen, the three, you do have three mortal enemies of your life. You have yourself, you have the world and its value system, and you have Satan and all of his minions against you. And you've got to get dressed daily for battle. Okay? Now, so many followers of Jesus walk out of their house every day without getting dressed. And boy, it's an ugly scene. It's an ugly scene. You don't, get, you don't walk out intentionally putting on the, you, you know, the helmet of salvation, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace. Uh, if you don't put on the full armor of God, you're a goner. Because there are arrows thrown at you. There are darts getting thrown at you. There are lies and pretensions that sets itself up against the knowledge of God getting thrown and ringing that doorbell at the doorpost of your mind every single day because the battlefield is in the mind. That's where it starts in the mind. So the second part of that anchor is this, learning how to take our thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10 says the weapons we fight with are, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are strongholds? Well, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If you don't, and we'll teach you this, and it's one of the things that we do that's different from everyone else, we teach people how to become expert, taking thoughts captive disciples. If you're not good at taking thoughts captive You'll get defeated by the lies that get presented to you every day, and there are hundreds of lies knocking at the doorpost of your mind every single day, and you've got to learn how to take those thoughts captive. How do you take thoughts captive? Well, you've got to know what the antidote for every lie is the truth of God's Word, because behind every self-defeating thing that you will ever do is a lie that you believe, and the antidote to that is to know the truth. But for, for example, if I'm fearful one day, you can say, well, God, let's figure this out. 
You said you didn't give me a spirit of fear. You said you've given me a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So I'm not feeling too lovely right now. I'm not feeling loving right now, and I'm feeling fearful. But you said you didn't give me a spirit of fear. So God, obviously this is not coming from you because your word says you didn't give me a spirit of fear. Ah, this must come from the enemy. So I'm going to take this dog captive in the name of Jesus. I choose not to be fearful. I choose love, power, and a sound mind. That's how I'm going to walk. That's how I'm going to operate. That's how I'm going to live my day in Jesus' name. And that's how you take your dog captive. That's how you get out of that situation. When you worry, say, why am I worrying? Why am I worrying? All of us worry. We worry, worry, worry all the time. Well, God, you told me not to worry. You told me not to. You said, you said instead of worrying, I should pray. You told me not to be anxious. You said, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is going to guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I choose that promise. I pray that promise over my life. That's how you take your thoughts captive. You just find something, and even if you can't find a scripture, here's a great way to take a great way to take your thought captive. You know it's a lie. You know it's something that's not from God. He said, I take you captive in Jesus' name, and I just worship Jesus right now. And I refuse to believe this thought that's coming to my mind because I know it's not from God. I trust you, Jesus, and I worship you right now. Get away from me, Satan. I worship you, Lord Jesus. I love you. I praise you. And you start praising Jesus after the devil gives you his best shot. And that's how you defeat him. You just take that thought captive in Jesus' name. How do you do this? Anchor 11. You can't do this in your own strength. Trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me. John 14, 26. But the counselor. Everybody say counselor. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Listen. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, listen, guys, it's better for you that I go. Trust me, I've been with you about three and a half years, and trust me, i got to go. i got to go. I've had enough. He says, it's better for you that I go. If I won't come, the council won't come. When he comes, he's going to guide you into truth. You see, I have been with you, but he's, he's not only going to be with you, he's going to be in you. Here's a trick question for you. Who do you think is the best teacher ever that existed? Jesus? I would say Jesus, nobody taught the things better than what Jesus taught as far as his content. But Jesus says, it's better for you that I go. Did you notice that the disciples never got it until the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost? Why? Because Jesus could only reach their intellect because he came in the form of a man. Holy Spirit lives inside of us so he can reach, change only happens from the inside out, right? That's why they got it on the day of Pentecost. Because they got filled with the Holy Spirit, power came inside of them, they stopped playing God, and they got filled with love, power, and a sound mind. They started preaching with boldness. 3,000 people got saved, and the world has never been the same ever since. It's better for you that I go. Here's, here's another way of putting it. The only form of God we've got until, until we pass in this life is the Holy Spirit. Where is Jesus right now? Where is the Father right now? They're both in heaven. Do we have access to them? Absolutely, we can pray to them. But who's with us? Holy Spirit. He's the only form of God we've got with us. Why not honor him? Why not learn more about him? 
Why not empower him as opposed to the opposite of grieving him? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit's everything. I can go on and on, but we don't have time. This is, we teach, this is a year-long curriculum we're doing in one night. Last anchor, everybody say amen. amen. You weren't supposed to do that. Okay, live out and share the hope that I now have. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an, ans- an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What do you think, what, what kind of anchor is this? Is this, uh, and this is the evangelism anchor. We're always to be, always ready to give an account of the hope that we now live for. Here's the Jesus model of leadership. Here it is. Here's what we teach. Come and see. Follow me. Now go and tell. Come and see. Follow me. Go and tell. That's how Jesus called his disciples. Come and see what life with me is all about. Now that you've seen, follow me. You know what follow me means? Die to yourself, pick up your cross, forsake your life, and be resurrected new, living out a total sold-out life, becoming a disciple, and living out a discipleship type of life every day of your life until you see Jesus face-to-face so you can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then it says, go and tell. Where to go and tell? Jesus died publicly so you can tell others publicly about your faith. Faith is not a private thing. You have to go out and share your faith. You will never lock eyes with someone else that Christ hasn't died for in this world. So just a tip for me, when you take a side, you lose. Pick a side and you lose. I'm always going to pick the side of Jesus and we're to live out this hope that we now have. These 12 anchors of hope are not something that came from a book, not something that came from a program. These are the 12 anchors of hope that God placed on our hearts to teach. We wrote an entire curriculum, and these are life-changing anchors of hope that will change your life. I want to encourage you to memorize them, to live them out, to own them, but I also want to say this as we, as we transition to worship. Anchors 4 through 12 don't work unless you've reconciled anchor 3 in your life. And that's to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Anchors 4 and anchors through 12, identity, going in your past, changing, transformation, making God's word the authority over your life, praying with power, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, experiencing peace by becoming a peacemaker. All this stuff you can't experience until you let the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords be the Lord and leader of your life. And while we're singing, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. If you want to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't want you to do it in your seat. I'm tired of just trying to do something where we're not trying to embarrass somebody. It's not about trying to embarrass anybody. If you're going to make a decision for Christ, I want you to walk out of your seat, and I want you to tell the world, this is my decision today, and I'm going all in for Jesus. I'm repenting of my sins. I'm turning from my sins. I'm turning to Jesus. I'm opening up my heart, and I'm going to live for him for the rest of my life, and I'm going to settle my eternal destiny 
and I'm going to be forgiven, and I'm going to declare to the world that I am forgiven. And if you want that, as we worship, you step forward. You come and see me, and we'll pray together. And you can experience all the blessings of overcoming any life adversity, any brokenness, any hurt in your life. Because when the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed.